Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We are kicking off a new series. You guys ready? I better warn you right now. Buckle up. Uh, this one hits uh, close to home for pretty much, well, all of us. And uh, you only get to hear it once. I've had to say these words several times, which means I'm like triple convicted by the time we get here today. Um, And so uh, I'm eating a lot of my own words as I'm wrestling and preaching and sharing about this stuff. But we're, we're doing this series called The Truth Is. And we're going to be going through the book of James and talking about uh, some things that he really wants to make sure we uh, don't miss. And, and I think more importantly, wanted to make sure that early believers didn't miss. And so just to kind of get us teed up and set the context to make sure we understand who James is, who he was writing to, what he was writing about, what kind of why he was writing what he did, when he did, uh, it'll help us. Um, kind of uh, filter and, and shape what we're learning as we go through this when we know a little bit more about the context. So James, first of all, is not the James that was one of the disciples of Jesus. The James that writes the book of James in the Bible is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He later is uh, an apostle and leader of the chur- uh, church in Jerusalem. And so The believing Jews in Jerusalem, like we're familiar at Pentecost, 3,000 people were added to their number that day, and then the church continued to grow. Jewish uh, people believing in Jesus as the Messiah was the birth of the church. And, and as that church began to grow, eventually persecution sprang up and, and escalated against the church. We see that in Acts chapter 8 with the stoning of Stephen and the scattering of the believers. And so God's people that were largely uh, located in Jerusalem and Judea start to scatter throughout the region for fear of their lives, to seek safety and, and out of the, the, the close-knit uh, persecution that was going on really strong in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, and James had been really the the, the main kind of uh, leader of those believers in Jerusalem, and so as they scatter and spread out, it's his heart's desire to write to them and to give them instruction, and. It's a different type of letter for several reasons than a lot of the New Testament letters. Uh, The New Testament letters, for example, that Paul writes uh, are generally to a specific place and a specific group of people, and he addresses some specific things that he's heard reports about that they're struggling with. And, and they're also writing to different audiences in that James was writing to a largely religious audience. And so these were Jews that had grown up Jewish. They knew the Torah inside out. The first five books of the Bible by the time they were 10, 11, 12, 13, had them memorized by heart. They knew God's word. In our culture, we would say that they were the kind of people like James was writing to the kind of people who grew up in church, whose parents grew up in church, whose grandparents and great-grandparents and great-grandparents all grew up in church. Like These are the kind of people that their whole entire family history had always been religious. And they knew God's word. And then Paul, by contrast, he writes to people where he would travel out to places far away from Jerusalem, and he would convert some Jews and a lot of Gentiles that didn't have a Jewish faith, that didn't have a Jewish upbringing, that might not have any religious background. 
and, and they would come to put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah, and then Paul writes to them. And so a lot of Paul's letters address some th- really important things, like it's really important that you know the right things. Like, don't believe any other gospel that comes after the one that we told you. Like, when we came and shared the truth about who Jesus is and who God is, you have to stick with that. That that truth that we shared with you while we were there is so important. Don't let anybody else come in and tell you anything different. So Paul is hammering on the basics of the, of the Christian faith. Like you have to know some fundamental truths. Like the, these are so important. Don't get sidetracked on these things. James, on the other hand, is writing to people who grew up knowing far more than the fundamentals. They knew all of it. And so James's letter is very much more, uh, you don't need to know anything else. What you need to do is, is do what you know. It's so important that you actually, it's not about knowing more or proving what you know, now what you need to know and be convicted of is that you need to be doing what you know. And if you don't, I'm here to tell you that what you thought you knew is dead. It actually isn't any of value to you at all. And so that's kind of a contrast to help us understand a little bit of how James is writing and who he writes to. And I think probably for a lot of us in this room, we either grew up in church or have had access to God's word and the scriptures and Google and Bible app and all of these different things that we've grown up with that, that like, there is so much knowledge and content available to us. I I think for a lot of people, we could be in the shoes of James' audience that it's not about learning more. It's about what if we just did what we already knew, right? What if we actually walked the walk instead of just continually trying to always go back over what we know? And so I think probably for some of us, this series may hit close to home. For other people, it may be like, I'm brand new. I'm just learning the basics of the, uh, of the faith. And so you're going to get right up front a really important lesson. Like every time you learn something in God's word, wrestle with how do you live it out? Marry those two things together in your practice, learning and doing. And you're going to follow in good footsteps. And so we're going to spend some time looking at some of the things that James uh, will really want to make sure that these early believers knew, and I think that God wants to make sure that we still hang on to today. And it'll be in your notes there, but the, the truth is that your words do matter, and that's what we're going to camp out on for this first in the series, is that your words do matter. Uh, how we talk about people is like a window to our heart. And our, our words reveal the truth about our character. So we're, we're going to unpack those ideas a little bit, but those are statements that are born out of lessons that Jesus and James taught. And, and James, in the beginning of the, his excla- explanation about words and your mouth and the tongue, as he will say, he, he gives some uh, kind of some setup. He tries to build his case that it's really important that we understand just how powerful our mouth is, or in his case, he talks about your tongue, taming your tongue or getting your tongue under control. He's trying to get your words, your mouth under control. He's like, it's so important that you understand how powerful this thing is that you have, that you don't just 
passively acknowledge, oh yeah, I've got a mouth and sometimes it gets me in trouble. He's like, it's way more of a big deal than that. It's so hard to tame. You could tame all the wild animals out there, but good luck trying to tame your tongue. He's trying to rattle you and get your attention that your mouth, you can't just sort of accidentally hope that you'll just say good things. Your mouth doesn't accidentally fall in order unless you're disciplining it and, 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 and bridling it and trying to keep it under control. And so he gives these examples to help us realize what a powerful thing it is. He gives examples that show that how something really, really small can control something really, really big. And he starts off with the ex- example of a bit in a horse's mouth. And I, I bet a lot of you know about bits and horses. How many people in here have you ever ridden a horse? Has anybody in here not ridden a horse? There's a couple. Don't you live in like the country? I thought that was like a rule that you had to like have horses in the country. Motorcycles. Motorcycles. Hey, you're speaking my love language. Um, And you'll see why when you hear this story. Uh, So I did not ever uh, grow up with horses until I was 18 years old. And then my mom at 18, when I was 18, I was uh, just finishing up high school, uh, back when I was smart and knew everything, she decides she wants to get horses. And so uh, this is a crazy thing. And I realized as I've been sharing this story that a lot of people don't know what this is. But they're back in the old-fashioned days, um, before color came into the TVs, there was this thing called a dishwasher that was not part of your house. It was like a separate appliance. It looked a little bit like dragging your washing machine around the house. And then it had a hose and you would hook it up to your sink. And then you would unravel the plug-in and plug it in, and then you would hook all your dishes up inside of it and turn it on and pray it didn't leak all over the place, right? It was called a portable dishwasher because washing in the sink was really tough, right? And so it made everybody's lives easier. Well, my mom had a portable dishwasher that we never used. So she traded a portable dishwasher and 200 bucks for two horses, and so we go on this big adventure to this neighboring town to go and meet the family that's selling these horses. She grabs myself and a friend of mine from high school. And so there's two of us 18-year-old guys that have walked by a horse once at the fair. Okay, that's our horsemanship experience going into this deal. And so we go to this place, and these two teenage girls, they bring the horses out, and they're crying because they have to get rid of their horses. It's terrible. And I'm looking at them, and I'm looking at my mom going, all right, cool, we got horses. Now what? Like, how do we get them home? And she goes, well, I just figured that's why I brought you guys. I just, up until this point, I really didn't know what the plan was. And she goes, you would just, I just figured you would ride them home. It's like 12 miles, part of it down a highway. Uh, and I'm like, um, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, I'm like, how hard could it be, right? So I'm like, where's the seats for them? You know, like, where's the stuff? You, what are you, and the saddles. And they're like, you didn't buy those. They don't. It's, they cost more than the horse. And I'm like, oh, all right. Well, how do you ride this thing? You know. And so these girls give us a three minute horse lesson while they're crying and get the tears are getting worse the more they see who they're giving them to they're like oh my gosh our poor horses right and and so we jump up on these horses and I'm holding on to the strings right yeah told you I'm holding on to the strings and I'm like what magic words do you say to make it go left and right and go and stop and like how do you what is turbo you know like right? Can you skid the corn? I'm, I have no idea what I'm doing. And so these girls give us a little lesson of how to do the reins. I learned that they were not strings. So we get a little horse lesson around the yard and then that was it. 12 miles later, 
I learned that dirt bikes are better than horses because my tushy was sore. But just to make sure you guys know, I did turn out to be quite the uh, urban cowboy. Uh, one of my kids stumbled across a family member that uploaded an old home video. It was just too good not to share. I'm thinking of bringing the rat tail back. This shows you uh, circa 1991 when I was 18 years old. Here's me uh, showing off my horsemanship skills to a bunch of cousins and relatives. And I don't know if you noticed the rat tail there, but it is epic. That was one of those rare days where I had it unbraided. Get ready for it. Here's the big moment. Proof, I rode a horse. Barely. Go faster! All right. So um, I learned when we were up at summer camp hanging out with all the kids, mullets are really back in style. And so I figure a rat tail is just one step away from a mullet. So any day now, they're coming back. I could tell, right? Uh, all right. All of that to share that I learned what James knew, that you put a bit in a horse's mouth and you can take this teeny little thing and steer a great big animal. He also goes on to give these other examples like a a rudder, this small rudder behind a ship can steer a great big huge uh, ship. And then he goes on to say like, it's like the first two are sort of like, you, you need to understand your tongue is really powerful. It's small, but it has the power to move big things. It can really influence where things go, but it's also really dangerous because he says like a tiny spark can light a whole forest on fire. And so he's trying to get our attention like you need to know your tongue and your words are a really big deal. And so there's a few lessons that I think James kind of gives through this letter and he he wants his these early believers, these early people who knew God's word and were following God, he's like, here's lessons you can't miss. Now, here's the cool thing I, th- I think that I want us to see is that James doesn't really teach anything that he didn't learn from Jesus. And so as we go through these and we look at these lessons about our words or about our mouth, we're going to see what Jesus taught first And then we're going to look at how James taught those lessons. And between the two of them, Jesus and James, I'm going to trust that we can learn something here today. Does that sound good to you guys? Sounded good to two people. The rest of you are afraid when I said we're going to talk about your mouth. All right. Lesson number one. Your mouth is your biggest tell. Your mouth is your biggest tell. Everybody's familiar with the idea in poker and cards that when you're watching and playing a poker game, you're trying to observe the other players to see if they look really excited about their hand or nervous about their hand. You're trying to see if they have a tell, right? Long before the poker stuff came around, uh, we've been looking at archaeology in Israel and Turkey, and they have these things called tells, right? And there's not a lot of them in Israel because the budgets for archaeology 
archaeology in Israel are really good because it's such a popular destination. And so most anything there, if you come across something that looks really important, they get after it. They dig in to find out what it is and do the research. But in Turkey, for example, the budget isn't as big as big for archaeology. And so when you go through Turkey, you'll see things like this all over the place. Now, I know if you're from the Palouse, uh, what you're looking at right there, you're like, whoa, I got tells all over my property, right? You mean a hill with grass on it? Those are amazing. In Turkey and Israel, you'll look around and you'll see these things and they look genuinely out of place. And they call it a tell because there is the ruins of a city or a castle or some see, you know, uh, place underneath there. And so they tell you what's going on underneath it. And your words... Jesus and James will teach us that your words are your biggest tell. They show what's going on inside, in your, in your heart. And so uh, Jesus talks about it like this. Here's the way Jesus explains it. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. He says, A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. And a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart, right? Pretty straightforward teaching, your mouth is your biggest tell. James teaches it like this. He says in James chapter 3, verse 9, sometimes, talking about your mouth, sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so, blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out of with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. You see, what they're trying to make sure that we don't miss, that, that those early believers didn't miss, is that like one of the fundamental core lessons we need to know as followers of Jesus is that what you say about other people says a lot more about you than what you're actually saying about them. Our words are our biggest tell. Let's look at the next lesson. The, the next lesson goes like this, uh, and this is one that's tough and super convicting because, man, it's a slippery slope. The second lesson is this. Think twice before uh, about talking crap behind somebody's back. It's like, whew. Sticking with James... And the kind of just straight talking nature of the letter, he's like, think twice before talking stuff behind somebody's back. We all know that this is not right. Even Evan knows it. He's telling me all about it. We know that talking behind somebody's back is not right. And yet, it still is such a slippery slope, and it's so easy to get ourselves there. And so I just want to look at how Jesus and James both talk about addressing it. In Matthew 12, verse 36, Jesus says, And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word that you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. 
Now, what you need to understand is we're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about uh, on judgment day uh, about whether or not you're going to uh, enter into heaven, that whether you've received God's grace. Like it, you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you receive God's grace, you receive salvation. Apart from that, you're, you're grafted into the family. You're adopted into the family of God. You have the, the Holy Spirit as your seal, which is your evidence, your adoption papers. I belong to this family and nobody can kick me out. Apart from that, what you say and how you act actually still matters, right? It still matters. He says that your, your words, your idle words. Now, here's a really cool thing. Like when Jesus gives us some really crystal clear, uh, like he, he's like, here's something you're going to have to give an account for on judgment day, your idle words. All of a sudden you're like, well, I don't have to guess. Now I know something I'm going to have to answer for is my idle words. What in the world are idle words? When you stop and think about it, like idle words are things that just kind of fall out of your mouth. They're not working good for anything. They are not really helping solve or fix any situation or circumstance. They're not bringing value to anything. They're not edifying or glorifying the person or the Lord. They're just that sort of junk talk that slips out of us. These idle words. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I'm going to have to give an account for those because I've said a lot of like things I didn't really think about very much. Or I did regret them afterwards, right? Here's how James talks about it. James chapter 4, verse 11, he says, Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Now, you might be listening to this and going like, okay, well, Jesus is talking about the words coming out of our mouth. James kind of switches it up and is talking about judging. What's going on here? Like idle words, so much of our idle words are really gossip. Talking about other people behind their back. Talking about people and situations and circumstances. And, and when we get into gossip, when we start talking about stuff that we got no business being talking about, we used to always talk about in our family and with the uh, youth group kids, we always used to say the simple rule is this. Are you a part of the solution? Are you a part of the problem? If you can't clearly say yes to either one of those, then you probably have no business even bringing it out of your mouth. You're either part of the solution and you can go contribute or you're a part of the problem and you need to buck up and fix it. Apart from that, you probably don't need to talk about it. Because you're going to slip down this slippery slope of gossip. Now, here's what happens when we gossip. When we start looking at other people and we start judging what they're wearing, what they're saying, what they're doing, we start talking about, oh, look at what they did, and they did this, and I can't believe how they treated their boss, and I can't believe what this person did to their wife, and I can't believe what that kid said about their dad, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and all the stuff from the, the littlest of things to the big things that we gossip about. Behind that, when you pull the curtain back on gossip, is just us being judgmental. It's us putting ourselves on the throne saying that all of a sudden I'm the one that tells what's right and wrong. And James says, I don't know if you remember or not, but that's the, the, the law of, of, or that's the job of God's law 
is to judge how people are living and what's right and what's righteous and what's not righteous. It's not your turf to be judging who's right, who's wrong, who's doing it right, who's messing it up. If you believe that they're in the right or in the like, he's like, you are in territory that is not your responsibility. I think all of us need to be remembering the, the words of the psalmist, 141.3. says, take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. That's sticky note worthy, right? Maybe in those strategic places where you're like, every time I walk out of here or I get in this room, or I need to be reminded of that at times. Okay, let's look at number three. Lesson number three is don't let your mouth make you a liar. Seems like a good lesson to learn. Don't let your mouth make you a liar. And Jesus talks about this in the context of making promises or vows or committing to things that you might not be able to follow through with. Here's how he talks about it in Matthew 5, 33. He says, you have also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows that you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. And do not say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. You see, one of Jesus' concerns was that we would unwittingly make ourselves a liar. Like, like when we're committing to something, we're making promises or vows to things that are beyond our control, you can accidentally make yourself a liar. He's like, rather than ever risk putting yourself in a position where you end up lying about something and not doing something you said you would do and not following through with something you said you would do. He's like, you've got to back way up and don't even get into that territory. James talks about it in a real similar way. In James chapter 5, verse 12, he says, But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. You see, the thing is, I, I think all of us probably realize this to some degree, but we tend to distort the truth in our own favor. We're usually our favorite hero of all of our stories. We tend to like to paint ourselves in a positive light, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that in general, but we tend to exaggerate or distort the truth or to, to make ourselves sound better than, than we were. It, when we retell a story or we, re, re, we remember something that happened way back when, we tend to remember the really good stuff that we did or said and ignore our mess-ups and our sin and our mistakes. We don't like to repeat those or, or reflect on those. When we make commitments to things, it's, it's easy to be quick to say, yeah, I'll really do this, or I promise I'll do that. All right, you can count on me. I'll definitely be there by this. And, and Jesus and James both are saying, like, it's so important that we're, we're, we're mindful of what comes out of our mouth because if the things that come out of our mouth end up not being true, 
then it starts to affect people's willingness to trust us. And how hard is it to be somebody that says, I know something that's so important that it could save your life. And they're like, yeah, I've heard a few stories from you before, right? You're like, no, seriously, my church is doing this thing and it's really cool. I think you should come to it. And they're like, really cool, like the da 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 like the other thing. Like, and they may not say it out loud to you, but in their head, they're going like, I feel like you exaggerate or overemphasize things, and I don't know if I really trust your judgment. What a bummer. What a bummer kind of a place to be. So in your notes, you're going to see kind of some things about why these lessons matter. I just kind of want to cycle through them real quick and just reflect on why these things are so important. To some degree, sometimes, especially as we're looking in James, some of the stuff is a little bit obvious and it feels a little bit like, oh, the famous common sense that's never that common, right? Like it feels a little bit easy when we hear it. But I want you to think about something. Remember who James was writing to. James was writing to people who had this deep religious upbringing and background that knew God's word, that knew truth, that knew God's plan, and he's giving them these things that seem like sort of obvious, easy lessons, which tells you something, right? Like even for the people that have grown up, knowing all of the right things to do, they still need the easy, obvious lessons because they're not that hard to mess up on. They're, they're, they're easy to get off track on. So just some things that help us remember why they matter. The first one is just that it, your words tell you and God the condition of your heart, right? What's coming out of your mouth, how you talk about people, how you talk about stuff, how you talk about your job or your kids, or your finances, like anything. Pick your topic, how you talk about things. The, 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 the tone, the excitement or disdain. The, like what comes out of your mouth is your biggest tell. It, it's, it's revealing to God the treasury, like Jesus said, the treasury of your heart. What do you have stored up? The, the second thing is that you can't talk behind God's back about people that he loves without him noticing. You can't talk behind God's back about people that he loves without him noticing. Now, I want you to think about something for a second. Imagine we go, uh, last night, uh, we, Kayla and I were shooting baskets up at Jefferson Elementary. Um, I was showing her how I can dunk. And then we woke up from the dream. Um, we were just shooting hoops. And there's some kids up there playing, right? Like, and it just reminded me of this analogy. It, like, so imagine you're at the park. You're, you're with uh, some friends of yours, some parents. Your kids are out there playing. There's some other adults off to the side. And as you're talking, you as a parent, you hear one of the other adults say your kid's name. And you know you don't know him. So it gets your attention, right? It's like, well, that's kind of weird. Like, how come you know? Like, 
How come you know their name? And so you're sort of like in the conversation, but you're over here sort of listening, like your protective sense is up, like something's weird. And then you catch the tone, like they're, they're real negative, and you start to hear more of what they're talking about, and they're talking a bunch of garbage about your kid. And all of a sudden, you're like, excuse me, I got to come over here. Hey, like, hey, how are you today? I don't know if we've ever met. I'm Stevie. You know that you were just mentioning, I heard you mention his name. I'm his mom. I'm his dad, right? You're like, uh, there seems to be a problem here. That's like if you're on the really nice day, right? If you got a little mama bear or papa bear, you might have a few claw marks before you get to the nice stuff, right? Like how, depending on how you handle that. Now, here's what's funny is we can tell that little imaginary story and we can picture that thing playing out in our mind and we can all imagine how we would get our hackles up if someone was doing that for one of our family members. It would, it, we would get defensive, it would bug us. And yet every one of us, me included, every one of us talks about people behind their back. It happens at times. Like some of us are awful And it's a huge problem that you need to deal with. Other people, it's more on the accidental scale. But I want you to imagine, like to to help us grow in this area, to imagine like we're at the playground and God's standing off to the side and and God's the protective dad who just heard one of his kids' names and it perked his ears up. He's like, oh, wait a minute, hang on. Somebody's talking about one of my kids in a way that I don't think sounds right. You're never going to sneak one by God when we start talking behind people's backs. The last thing is that your lies erode the trust of those closest to you, right? If our mouth makes us a liar, we say things that aren't true, we exaggerate, distort the truth in our favor, we say we're going to do things and then we don't do them, it erodes the trust of the very people that God calls us to reach. Very, very few people are called to go to like long ways away to go share the gospel. There, some are, for sure. But the vast majority of us are called to reach our, friend, our family, our friends, our neighbors, the people that our kids do sports with, our coworkers, right? Like, this is where God's planted us. These are the people that we're doing life with. These are the people that we are to be a witness, an ambassador for, for Jesus for, to show them by our words and our actions what God is like. And if our words are doing things that make them not want to trust us, then we're, we're like eroding, taking away from the very relationships that we have the most opportunity to share the gospel with. You see, what we say matters. Your words do matter. And these are things that that James knew that these early believers that had suffered persecution, and he talked with them about the hard things that they were going through. He talked with them about the the challenges that were going on in their faith, but he was like, in spite of all that, the hard things that you're, you're facing, the conditions that you're under, the fact that your life is not going the way you expected it to go, in spite of all that, what you can't forget is how you live matters, what you say matters. And if we're going to continue to stay the course, if we're going to continue to help other people know about Jesus as the Messiah, then you've got to keep your mouth in check.
and not just hope accidentally that it falls into line the way you hope it will. I know from my personal experience, when I get lazy over the years and I've, I've been way less intentional about what I put in, a lot more passive about what I watch or what I read or who I'm around or what I listen to, and a lot more passive about my reading and studying and praying, then my language starts to change. And the things that fall out of my mouth are not that great when I look back over my highlight reels. It's important that we're intentional about what we're putting in and that we're managing our mouth so that we've got opportunities to share the gospel and opportunities to draw people to who Jesus is and who God is. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.